Chapter 5 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 4, Part 2, Urbain Grandier, by Alexandre Dumas, translated by George Burnham Ives. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 Since October 13th, the day on which the demons had been expelled, life at the convent seemed to have returned to its usual quiet, but Grandier did not let himself be lulled to sleep by the calm. He knew those with whom he was contending too well to imagine for an instant that he would hear no more of them and when the bailiff expressed pleasure at this interval of repose, Grandier said that it would not last long, as the nuns were only conning new parts, in order to carry on the drama in a more effective manner than ever. And in fact, on November 22nd, René Minori, surgeon to the convent, was sent to one of his colleagues named Gaspard Gilbert, to beg him to come, bringing some of the physicians of the town with him, to visit the two sisters who were again tormented by evil spirits. Minori, however, had gone to the wrong man, for Jalbert had a frank and loyal character, and hated everything that was underhand. Being determined to take no part in the business except in a public and judicial manner, he applied at once to the bailiff to know if it was by his orders that he was called in. The bailiff said it was not, and summoned Minori before him to ask him by whose authority he had sent for Jalbert. Minori declared that the Torrier had run in a fright to his house saying that the nuns, who had never been worse, possessed than now, and that the director, Mignon, begged him to come at once to the convent, bringing with him all the doctors he could find. The bailiff, seeing that fresh plots against Grandier were being formed, sent for him and warned him that Bada had come over from Chinon the day before, and had resumed his exorcisms at the convent, adding that it was currently reported in the town that the mother superior and sister Claire were again tormented by devils. The news neither astonished nor discouraged Grandier, who replied with his usual smile of disdain that it was evident his enemies were hatching new plots against him, and that as he had instituted proceedings against them for the former ones, he would take the same course with regard to these. At the same time, knowing how impartial the bailiff was, he begged him to accompany the doctors and officials to the convent, and to be present at the exorcisms, and should any sign of real possession manifest itself, to sequester the afflicted nuns at once, and cause them to be examined by other persons than Mignon and Bada, whom he had such good cause to distrust. The bailiff wrote to the king's attorney, who, notwithstanding his bias against Grandier, was forced to see that the conclusions arrived at were correct, and having certified this in writing, he at once sent his clerk to the convent to inquire if the superior were still possessed. In case of an affirmative reply being given, the clerk had instructions to warn Mignon and Bada that they were not to undertake exorcisms unless in presence of the bailiff and of such officials and doctors as he might choose to bring with him, and that they would disobey at their peril. He was also to tell them that Grandier's demands to have the nuns sequestered and other exorcists called in were granted. Mignon and Bada listened while the clerk read his instructions, and then said they refused to recognize the jurisdiction of the bailiff in this case, that they had been summoned by the mother superior and sister Claire when their strange illness returned, an illness which they were convinced was nothing else than possession by evil spirits that they had hitherto carried out their exorcisms under the authority of a commission given them by the bishop of poitiers and as the time for which they had permission had not yet expired they would continue to exercise as often as might be necessary they had however given notice to the worthy prelate of what was going on in order that he might either come himself or send other exorcists as best suited him so that a valid opinion as to the reality of the possession might be procured for up to the present the worldly and unbelieving had taken upon themselves to declare in an off-hand manner that the whole affair was a mixture of fraud and delusion, in contempt of the glory of God and the Catholic religion. 
As to the rest of the message, they would not in any way prevent the bailiff and the other officials, with as many medical men as they chose to bring, from seeing the nuns, at least until they heard from the bishop from whom they expected a letter next day. But it was for the nuns themselves to say whether it was convenient for them to receive visitors. As far as concerned themselves, they desired to renew their protest, and declared they could not accept the bailiff as their judge, and did not think that it could be legal for them to refuse to obey a command from their ecclesiastical superiors, whether with relation to exorcism or any other thing of which the ecclesiastical courts properly took cognizance. The clerk brought this answer to the bailiff, and he— thinking it was better to wait for the arrival of the bishop or of fresh orders from him, put off his visit to the convent until the next day. But the next day came without anything being heard of the prelate himself or of a messenger from him. Early in the morning the bailiff went to the convent but was not admitted. He then waited patiently until noon, and seeing that no news had arrived from Desay, and that the convent gates were still closed against him, he granted a second petition of Grandier's, to the effect that Bada and Mignon should be prohibited from questioning the superior and the other nuns in a manner tending to blacken the character of the petitioner or any other person. Notice of this prohibition was served the same day on Bada, and on one nun chosen to represent the community. Bada did not pay the slightest attention to this notice, but kept on asserting that the bailiff had no right to prevent his obeying the commands of his bishop, and declaring that henceforward he would perform all exorcisms solely under ecclesiastical sanction, without any reference to lay persons, whose unbelief and impatience impaired the solemnity with which such rites should be conducted. The best part of the day having gone over without any sign of either bishop or messenger, Grandier presented a new petition to the bailiff. The bailiff at once summoned all the officers of the bailiwick and the attorneys of the king, in order to lay it before them, but the king's attorneys refused to consider the matter, declaring upon their honor that although they did not accuse Grandier of being the cause, yet they believed that the nuns were veritably possessed, being convinced by the testimony of the devout ecclesiastics in whose presence the evil spirits had come out. This was only the ostensible reason for their refusal, the real one being that the advocate was a relation of Mignon's and the attorney a son-in-law of Trinquant's, to whose office he had succeeded. Thus Grandier, against whom were all the ecclesiastical judges, began to feel as if he were condemned beforehand by the judges of the royal courts, for he knew how very short was the interval between the recognition of the possession as a fact and the recognition of himself as its author. Nevertheless, in spite of the formal declarations of the king's advocate and attorney, the bailiff ordered the superior and the lay sister to be removed to houses in town, each to be accompanied by a nun as companion. During their absence from the convent they were to be looked after by exorcists, by women of high character and position, as well as by physicians and attendants, all of whom he himself would appoint, all others being forbidden access to the nuns without his permission. The clerk was again sent to the convent with a copy of this decision, but the superior, having listened to the reading of the document, answered that in her own name and that of the sisterhood she refused to recognize the jurisdiction of the bailiff, that she had already received directions from the bishop of Poitiers, dated 18th November, explaining the measures which were to be taken in the matter, and she would gladly send a copy of these directions to the bailiff to prevent his pleading ignorance of them. Furthermore, she demurred to the order for her removal having vowed to live always secluded in a convent, and that no one could dispense her from this vow but the bishop. This protest having been made in the presence of Madame de Charnisay, aunt of two of the nuns, and surgeon Minori, who was related to another, they both united in drawing up a protest against violence, in case the bailiff should insist on having his orders carried out, declaring that, should he make the attempt, they would resist him as if he were a mere private individual. 
This document, being duly signed and witnessed, was immediately sent to the bailiff by the hand of his own clerk, whereupon the bailiff ordered that preparations should be made with regard to the sequestration, and announced that the next day, the 24th November, he would repair to the convent and be present at the exorcisms. The next day, accordingly, at the appointed hour, the bailiff summoned Daniel Roger, Vincent Defoe, Gaspard Joubert, and Mathieu Fanson, all four physicians, to his presence, and acquainting them with his reasons for having called them, asked them to accompany him to the convent to examine, with the most scrupulous impartiality, two nuns whom he would point out in order to discover if their illness were feigned, or arose from natural or supernatural causes. Having thus instructed them as to his wishes, they all set out for the convent. They were shown into the chapel and placed close to the altar, being separated by a grating from the choir in which the nuns who sang usually sat. In a few moments the superior was carried in on a small bed which was laid down before the grating. Bada then said mass, during which the superior went into violent convulsions. She threw her arms about, her fingers were clenched, her cheeks enormously inflated, and her eyes turned up so that only the whites could be seen. The mass finished, Bada approached her to administer the Holy Communion and to commence the exorcism. Holding the holy wafer in his hand, he said, Adora Deum Tuum, Creatorum Tuum. Adore God, thy creator. The superior hesitated, as if she found great difficulty in making this act of love, but at length she said, Adoro te, I adore thee. Quem adoras, whom dost thou adore? Jesus Christus, Jesus Christ, answered the nun, quite unconscious that the verb adorn governs accusative. This mistake, which no sixth-form boy would make, gave rise to bursts of laughter in the church, and Daniel Duan, the provost's assessor, was constrained to say aloud, "'There's a devil for you who does not know much about transitive verbs.' Bada, perceiving the bad impression that the superior's nominative had made, hastened to ask her, "'Quis est iste quem adoras? Who is it whom thou dost adore?' His hope was that she would again reply, Jesus Christus, but he was disappointed. Jesus Christe, was her answer. Renewed shouts of laughter greeted this infraction of one of the most elementary rules of syntax, and several of those present exclaimed, Oh, your reverence, what very poor Latin! Bada pretended not to hear, and next asked what was the name of the demon who had taken possession of her. The poor superior, who was greatly confused by the unexpected effect of her last two answers, could not speak for a long time, but at length, with great trouble, she brought out the name Asmode without daring to Latinize it. The exorcist then inquired how many devils the superior had in her body, and to this question she replied quite fluently, Sex? Six? The bailiff upon this requested Bada to ask the chief devil how many evil spirits he had with him. But the need for this answer had been foreseen, and the nun unhesitatingly returned, Quinque, five. This answer raised Asmodee somewhat in the opinion of those present, but when the bailiff adjured the superior to repeat in Greek what she had just said in Latin, she made no reply, and on the adjuration being renewed, she immediately recovered her senses. The examination of the superior being thus cut short, a little nun who appeared for the first time in public was brought forward. She began by twice pronouncing the name of Grandier with a loud laugh, and then turning to the bystanders called out, "'For all your number, you can do nothing worth while.' 
as it was easy to see that nothing of importance was to be expected from this new patient she was soon suppressed and her place taken by the lay sister claire who had already made her debut in the mother superior's room hardly had she entered the choir than she uttered a groan but as soon as they placed her on the little bed on which the other nuns had lain she gave way to incontrollable laughter and cried out between the paroxysms a grandier grandier you must buy some at the market bada at once declared that these wild and whirling words were a proof of possession and approached to exorcise the demon but sister claire resisted and pretending to spit in the face of the exorcist put out her tongue at him making indecent gestures using a word in harmony with her actions this word being in the vernacular was understood by everyone and required no interpretation the exorcist then conjured her to give the name of the demon who was in her and she replied grandier but bada by repeating this question gave her to understand that she had made a mistake whereupon she corrected herself and said elini nothing in the world could induce her to reveal the number of evil spirits by whom elimi was accompanied so that Abara, seeing that it was useless to press her on this point, passed on to the next question. Cure pacto ingressus est the daemon. By what pact did the demon get in? Duplex! Double! returned Sister Claire. This horror of the ablative, when the ablative was absolutely necessary, aroused once more the hilarity of the audience, and proved that Sister Claire's devil was just as poor a Latin scholar as the superior's, and Bada, fearing some new linguistic eccentricity on the part of the evil spirit, adjourned the meeting to another day. The paucity of learning shown in the answers of the nuns being sufficient to convince any fair-minded person that the whole affair was a ridiculous comedy, the bailiff felt encouraged to persevere until he had unraveled the whole plot. Consequently, at three o'clock in the afternoon, he returned to the convent, accompanied by his clerk, by several magistrates, and by a considerable number of the best-known people of Laudon, and asked to see the superior. Being admitted, he announced to Bada that he had come to insist on the superior being separated from Sister Claire, so that each could be exercised apart. Bada dared not refuse before such a great number of witnesses, therefore the superior was isolated and the exorcisms begun all over again. Instantly the convulsions returned, just as in the morning, only that now she twisted her feet into the form of hooks, which was a new accomplishment. Having adjured her several times, the exorcist succeeded in making her repeat some prayers, and then sounded her as to the name and number of the demons in possession, whereupon she said three times that there was one called Achaos. The bailiff then directed Bada to ask if she were possessed, ex pacto magi, aut ex ora voluntate dei, by a pact with a sorcerer, or by the pure will of God, to which the superior answered, Non est valutas dei? not by the will of god upon this bada dreading more questions from the bystanders hastily resumed his own catechism by asking who was the sorcerer urbanus answered the superior es ne urbanus papa is it pope urban asked the exorcist grandier replied the superior Quae ingressus es in corpus huius puele? Why did you enter the body of this maiden? said Bada. Propter presentium tuum, because of your presence, answered the superior. 
At this point the bailiff, seeing no reason why the dialogue between Bada and the superior should ever come to an end, interposed and demanded that questions suggested by him and the other officials present should be put to the superior, promising that if she answered three or four such questions correctly, he and those with him would believe in the reality of the possession and would certify to that effect. Bada accepted the challenge, but unluckily just at that moment the superior regained consciousness, and as it was already late, everyone retired. End of chapter 5. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.